No? Hey, there we go. I knew something wasn't right. All right. Good morning. Wasn't that beautiful? That piano beautiful? Oh, love the piano. Uh, my name is Pastor Jason Scott. I'm the adult discipleship pastor here at Chapel Rock Christian Church. And we are in the middle of a, our Advent sermon series called A Few of My Favorite Things. The first week we got to talk about hope. Last week, Pastor Casey got to share a message on peace and this year, I get to or today, I get to share a message on joy. But before I do that, I just want to give a couple reminders. This is Christmas week, if you don't already know. Uh, on Saturday, Christmas Eve, we do have services here uh, at 5.30. Again, at 7 o'clock, those are our live in-person services. And we also have online services at 5.30, 7, 9, and 11. And we also have one service on Sunday, Christmas Day, at 10 o'clock. Okay, so let's move into today's sermon on joy. And I just want to begin with a few thoughts that Tim Keller had shared with his congregation on joy and about, how, about finding true joy. Do you remember when your mother used to say, don't eat candy before meals? Do you? Why'd she say that? Because she knew, she knew that if you ate that candy, it could ruin your meal. See, the trouble with eating candy, it gives you a, a certain sugar buzz. Then you don't feel hungry. It masks your body's need to get those proteins and nutrients and vitamins into your system. The sugar buzz from candy, it masks the hunger for real, real proteins and nutrients that you don't have. Power, money, success, they act like spiritual sugar. They may give you joy in the moment, but when the sugar disappears, when the candy gets taken away, we're forced to pursue the feast that our souls really crave for. We'll hunger for the spiritual nutrients that we really need. In much the same way at Christmas, we feed on the joyful moments of the season, the cookies, the candies, the carols, the Christmas feasts. These are good things, but as we move in, out of the Christmas season, the Christmas joy begins to fade. And we're going to talk about joy today. Joy. Joy could be elusive. It could be a fading it's like grabbing a handful of sand and watching it as it falls from your grasp. So we're going to talk about joy and how we can make our Christmas joy last. And we're going to begin in Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 49. Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 49. There we're going to see that joy comes from trusting the mighty one. Joy comes with trusting the mighty one. Now, I'm not going to rehash the whole story of Luke chapter 1, but a basic classic boy meets girl kind of scenario. All right? Boy, Joseph, meets girl, Mary. Fall in love, get married. Girl meets an angel, Gabriel. 
you know, your typical boy meets girl story. Gabriel tells her she's going to be the mother of the son of God. And he's going to be the fulfillment of a prophecy that was made to King David over a thousand, about a thousand years prior. And this baby, this baby has a name. You're going to call him Jesus. He's going to be conceived by the Holy Spirit, not by your husband, Joseph, but by the Holy Spirit. Mary goes, she visits her cousin, Elizabeth. And now we find in verses 46 through 49, Mary's song. She bursts into joy. This song is called the Magnificat. She magnifies and glorifies God in her circumstances. But why, why, why does she glorify God? Let's read in verse 48. For he has been mindful, no, my, 46, sorry. And Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. In verse 48, it says, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. This is the first reason why she rejoices. Because God has been mindful of her. He, this word means to look upon, to show care, concern, to show favor, tenderness. It's loving care that God has uh, shown upon her in selecting her, Mary, to be the mother of, G the mother of God. To look upon her implies this idea that God intended to do something great in Mary's humble state. And it would change the situation in this world forever. And as a result of that, all the generations, all the generations will call her blessed. And we're still celebrating that today. She rejoices because she trusts in the mighty one whom she serves. This word mighty one, this title, it often refers to a warrior God who fights on the behalf of his people and delivers them. It refers to his power, the power that's able to accomplish the impossible and makes good on the promises that he makes. In verse 14, 49, it says, For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. Holy, set apart, unlike any other. She goes through verses 51 and 53. She goes and starts recalling her God whom she serves and how powerful he truly is. She tells of how he performs great deeds with his mighty arm. He scatters the proud. He lifts up the humble. He brings down kings from their thrones. He fills the hungry and he fulfills his promises. But it was in her present, in her very near future, that she would personally experience his power. So let's take for a moment, let's take for a moment and recall what she is facing. She's a teenager. She's going to be, F, be with child. He's going to be the son of God, savior of the world. This child's not going to come from her husband, but by the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine her telling this story to other people, the Holy Spirit? They might think that she's either lying, covering up something, or maybe she's just plain crazy. 
People would think she's doing something here. She's, she's facing, facing what could be shame and disappointment from her family, ridicule from her community. She needs to explain all this to Joseph. That'll be an interesting conversation. She faces possible divorce. And let alone she's got to explain this encounter with, with the angel Gabriel. I think you can, you can agree that she's a teenager that has a lot going on in her life. But God lets her know she's not alone. He makes promises to her. And he sends his message to her through his messenger, Gabriel. Gabriel tells her, do not be afraid. He says, the Lord is with you. Repeatedly, he tells her that she is favored, that she's the recipient of God's grace. That the fulfillment of the promise to, to King David would come through her and her promised child, Jesus. The angel tells her that nothing is impossible with God. Look to your cousin Elizabeth, who is old and barren. She's going to have child. This is a lot to take in for a teenager. So how is she going to respond? How would you respond? Would you freak out? Maybe a little bit? Start thinking about money. How am I going to provide for this baby? Am I going to be abandoned? Maybe you're thinking, well, you know... If I see an angel appear before me, I probably would just take him at his word. That would be enough for me. And you know, you would think that would be enough. But then you look at Zechariah in verse 18. The angel appears before him and says that his wife's going to have a baby. An angel appears before him. And his response is, how can I be sure of this? How can I be sure of this? An angel appears before you. How, you're, you're asking for, you really, you're asking for more? Think about Gabriel. He's like, stupid human. <laughs> He's, he, tells, he tells him, I stand in the presence of God. And this is the message that I've been given to give to you. All right. Boom. He takes his voice. Mute. That's enough out of you. You don't get to say anything else in this matter until the baby comes. But Mary responds differently. Where Zechariah, his question comes out of doubt, Mary's question comes out of faith. Mary asks, already believing, how will this happen? Assuming that it's already going to happen. One was in a question of doubt. One was a question in faith. It's going to happen. But how? And I love this in, chapter, in verse 38. She says this. I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. <sighs> wow. The audacity of this girl, her trust in God in the face of her circumstances is incredible. 
And her cousin Elizabeth testifies to Mary's faith. In verse 45, she says, Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Joy comes with Mary's trust in God and his power to do great things for her. He looked upon her in her humbled state and did something great. He brought blessing. And that blessing would be the birth of Jesus Christ into the world as its Savior. The cause for eternal joy. Joy comes with trusting the Mighty One and the plan of His promised Son, Jesus. Joy comes with trusting the Mighty One. But as we look in Luke chapter 10, verses 17 through 21, we find that joy comes with humility before the Sovereign One. Just a brief setup of chapter 10 there. We see Jesus, He's ready to send out the 72, 72 disciples. 72 followers of his. They're on a mission. He's sending them out to all the towns and the villages. They're going to proclaim the good news of the uh, kingdom of God. They're going to perform signs and wonders and miracles. Jesus tells them, go look for the person of peace who's going to be open to this message. So they're going town to town. They're speaking this message. They're doing great things. They are excited. They are filled with joy. They come running up to Jesus and, he, and they tell him, even the demons submit to your name. We're able to cast out demons. And then Jesus drops this little bomb on them. He says, I've seen Satan fall from heaven. Okay. Why does he tell him that? Well, you look at Isaiah 14, it kind of describes how Satan fell from heaven, how he wanted to be like the mighty one. See, Satan, Satan was filled with pride and he wanted that position, the position to be the mighty one of God, to be God. He lacked humility. The 72, the power and the authority they had was not of their own, it was from Jesus But they could take pride in what they were able to do, in the power that they possess. They could even get drunk with power. If you looked in in the book of Acts, there's somebody who wanted to buy that power. Thinking, okay, this message of the kingdom of God, this is great. And I'm I'm, I'm, I'm able to do some powerful things here. I'm liking this. I've seen Satan fall from heaven. Hmm. He tells them, don't rejoice. Don't rejoice that you have the power to cast out demons. Don't let that be your cause for rejoicing. Don't take pride in your accomplishments. What they were able to do is because of their faith in Jesus Christ. In verses 17 through 20, it reads, The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing, nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So it's a relationship with God through Jesus Christ that should be the cause of their joy. 
this imagery of their names being written in heaven. It's a picture of a roll of names of those who are citizens and are members of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God that they were preaching from town to town. That should be the cause of their rejoicing. But just like the 72, maybe we're, we too, we get excited about what we're able to do. Maybe we get caught up in the doing, doing, doing what our accomplishments are. We may take pride and put uh, value in ourselves by what we are able to accomplish. I know sometimes I need to step back just to spend time with the Lord. Slow it down and recognize I am able to do what I'm able to do because of him and the people that he's surrounded me with. Maybe we just need to slow down to hear what he wants us to do. You see, you see, if Satan can use snakes and scorpions to work against us, you better be sure that he can use our busyness against us. The busyness in our lives that can steal the joy, steal the joy that comes from knowing him. Do you need to slow down? Rejoice. Rejoice that your name is written on the rolls of heaven. But maybe some of you are maybe not sure. And it's robbing you of that joy today. Now as we go into verse 21, we see Jesus. He's full of joy. He's given thanks to God, the sovereign, the all-powerful God over heaven and earth he gives thanks to them that the gospel, the kingdom of God, was hidden from the wise, but was revealed to those who were of a humble state. We see that in verse 21. Luke chapter 10, verse 21. At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. Who are these little children? Well, he uses that word figuratively for those who were humble, who accept this message of the kingdom of God through his son, Jesus Christ, as opposed to the proud and arrogant who would go on to reject Jesus. It could mean the, the religious leaders of the times, the scribes and the Pharisees, those who took pride in their own intellect, their education, their position, their own wisdom, saying, I know better than Jesus. It was they who rejected Jesus. Instead, they put their faith in their own good works, and what they were able to accomplish, and their own self-righteousness. I like how Charles Spurgeon put it. He rallied against these uh, prideful religious leaders and praised God for his use of the humble. Not you, ye scribes, who have counted every letter of the Old Testament, does he elect to be filled with the Spirit. Not you, ye Pharisees, who so abound in outward religion, does he choose to spread the inward life and light. Not you, ye Sadducees, who are versed in skeptical philosophy and boast your cleverness, does he call to preach his gospel to the poor. He hath taken to be the heralds of his glory, men from the Sea of Galilee, simple-hearted, ready to learn, 
And then, as ready to tell out again, the message of salvation. Mark Black, I, I like how he kind of summarizes this. And he ties it in with the, mu- the humility found in Mary's song. <clears throat> Jesus is praising God for his plan, which he uses humble people who have servant hearts in order to make known the coming kingdom in which these very characteristics will be most highly valued. The reversal of fortune between the proud and the humble, as prophesied by Mary in chapter 1, verses 51 through 53. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their innermost thoughts, and he has brought down the rulers from their thrones, but he's lifted up the humble. Joy comes with humility before the sovereign one. Just as joy comes with trusting the mighty one. And now we turn our attention to John chapter 15. There we find joy comes with abiding in the promised one. Joy comes with abiding in the promised one. Jesus tells his disciples in verse 11... I have told you this so that, and here's the purpose, so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Well, doesn't that just sound fantastic? A joy that's complete. Who wouldn't want a joy that's complete? A joy that's to the fullest. Joy that's not lacking in anything. Any takers? Okay, I got two, three, four. <laughs> Who wouldn't want that joy, right? Well, to know what he means there, we have to go back to the beginning of chapter 15. Many many of you are familiar with this metaphor that he uses, the vine and the branches and bearing fruit. Jesus says, I'm the vine, and his followers are the branches. Apart from him, you can't do nothing. You can't bear this fruit. Just as you remain, as a, just as a, a vine remains, a, a branch remains in the vine, it's where it gets its life and it takes on its characteristics and it bears fruit that continues to carry on these characteristics. So what does this remaining, what does this abiding mean? Well, to be, it means to be in a willing relationship with Jesus, one that's just ongoing and continual. It's an intimately close relationship. It's unlike that relationship that you might have with your distant cousin that you may see only once a year, that you know just enough about but not too comfortable with, and you're sitting at the table, and it's an awkward moment because you don't know what to say. Very unlike, for, unlike that relationship. This is one almost like a best friend, a confidant. Someone you could go to. Someone you could share anything with. Someone you could share your thoughts, your emotions, your, 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 your biggest struggles in life. Someone you can go to when you need help. Someone you know so well that you can finish their, their words, their, their sentences before they finish it. Or maybe even know their thoughts before they are able to say it. That friend who's there, no matter what the circumstances, even to be there, even just to listen. 
That's how close this relationship is. Well, how do you continue in that loving relationship with Jesus? Well, it's by trusting that what he has to say is true. You know, the the closest of friends will tell you truths that you may not be comfortable with or like, but it's because they love you that they tell you the truth. They have your best interests in mind. It means allowing the, 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 the words, the commands, and the teachings of Jesus just wash over you. It means to be able to communicate to him through prayer. It means bringing your brokenness to Jesus so you can be changed by Jesus, so you can be made whole by Jesus. Just as a branch depends on the vine to sustain its life, so does the one who follows Jesus, who looks to his word and teachings to sustain him and bear much fruit. It means spending time in his word, remembering it, meditating on it, committing yourself to it, living it out. It is the taking, it is God's Holy Spirit working with God's Holy Word to reproduce the life of God's Holy Son in us. Let me say that again. It is God's Holy Spirit and God's Holy Word working together to reproduce the life of God's Holy Son in us. It means to become more like Jesus in our character, our attitudes, our actions, our words. And in such, as such, it produces fruit in our lives. Much like how we depend on food and water to live, we depend on Jesus and the teachings to bring us life with each new day. Jesus once said, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. When you hunger, when you hunger for something more to bring you joy, do you hunger for something more to bring you joy? other than Jesus and his word? Do you feed on the junk food of scrolling through social media? Or do you open up the ancient scroll, the Bible, where you can actually find him, the bread of life, the one who could bring eternal joy? Do you yearn? Do you hunger? Do you starve for his word in this way, as if your very life depended on it? If not, pray for it. Pray for it. We remain in his love by keeping his commands, by following his teachings. His followers should obey him out of a sense of love, not out of obligation or even fear. Because it's possible to follow uh, the commands of somebody and yet have no love for him or her. If you ever worked a job where you had a boss, then you probably know a little bit by what I mean. You can do what your boss wants you to do, but the love thing, mm, maybe not so much. Maybe not so much. But it's out of our love for him that we keep his commands. And in keeping his commands, our love is on display And keeping his commands and his teachings, it's a response out of the love that he has lavished upon us 
when he sacrificed himself on that cross so that we can have that eternal joy. So what's the result of abiding in Jesus? Fruit. Fruit can mean good motives, good desires, your attitudes, your language, your deeds. It could be talking here about Christian character. It could be talking about inviting somebody and in, uh, uh, in introducing them to Jesus. But maybe more, more likely it means the fruit of the Spirit. In Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 23, it says there um, that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. What was the second one? What was the second one? Joy. Thank you. Amen. God bless you, brother. <laughs> Joy. You see how God's Holy Spirit works with God's Holy Word to reproduce the life of God's Holy Son in us, producing the fruits of the Spirit, one of which is joy. And as we have joy, it overflows out of us into the lives of our coworkers, of our neighbors, into our families, and even in and through the family of God. Now this brings us back full circle. How is our joy made complete? Well, the joy that Jesus experiences, it comes from carrying out the commands of the Father from his relationship with the Father and the love of the Father. And Jesus wants us to share, to share in that same joy that he has. And I think about my relationship with my kids. It brings me joy when they do what I tell them to do. I really, it really does bring me joy when they do what I tell them to do. If you're a parent, you probably have shared in that joy. But at the same time, they get to share in that joy, knowing that what they're doing is that they're bringing joy to their father. And it's within that relationship of love that they're safe, they're secure in that unbroken relationship that I have with them. And I tell them, I'm going to love you no matter what. D.A. Carson captures this idea of obedience, love, and joy. He says, human joy in a fallen world will at best be ephemeral, shallow, incomplete, until human existence is overtaken by an experience of the love of God in Christ Jesus. The love for which we were created, a mutual love that issues in obedience without reserve. We were, we were created to be in a relationship with God through Jesus Christ and it began before the fall, before sin came into the world, where, where, where man, humankind walked with their God. Then when sin came, it separated that relationship. It separated us from God. And ever since, we've had that longing to be back in that relationship with our Creator. But yet we look to the things of this world to be able to fill that hole, to, to, to fill that loss, with, to bring us joy. But those things were never meant to be, bring us everlasting joy. That's why it's ever so elusive. Holiday dinners, the presents, the lights, the, the candy canes, 
the Christmas movies, the Christmas trees, the Christmas cookies, the ones that are like chocolate chip and they have the red and green M&Ms in them. They're so good and they bring me much joy. So delicious. Until we get into January and I got to work off that weight. And all of a sudden they're robbing me of joy. (laughs) These things are good. They're good. But they were never meant to last. The sweetest joy that lasts can only be found in a relationship with Jesus. He truly is the reason for the season. And you too, you too can have that joy that is complete. But it begins with accepting the invitation to begin a relationship with him. To believe in the good news about Jesus. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, it says, Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. We celebrate Christmas with such joy because the Savior has come into the world. But it doesn't end there. He lived a perfect life. He suffered death on the cross. To, to die for our sins, to reconcile us back to our creator in that relationship so we can may, may be made right with God and enjoy that everlasting joy that comes through faith in him. Joy comes with trust, humility, and abiding in Jesus. And as we do, we bear much fruit in this world, sharing the joy that comes with knowing Jesus. But... It begins with Jesus. And it leads us to today's big idea that the only way for Christmas joy to last is to find it in Jesus. Maybe you're here today and that everlasting joy has been eluding you your entire life. We would love to be able to pray with you So you can find that joy in Jesus. Or maybe your first step may be taking that first step of faith of obedience and getting baptized. We'd love to be able to do that today with you. Or maybe you're a brother or sister in Christ who's going through a very hard Christmas. God gives us each other to pick each other up. We would love to be We're up here. We want to pray with you. So as the music plays, please come forward and come.